0: They spoke unequivocally before against abortion and spoke very well uh, about abortion and how it was wrong and murder and all the rest. And now today, oh yeah, it's a women's health issue and all the rest. They've just adopted all these arguments uh, and sometimes, maybe oftentimes, no one holds them accountable for the contradiction because they're, they're just glad they're now on this side of the issue, whatever the And this, that's not the only issue, but there's several issues. So the idea then is that um, uh, when persecution comes, normally what happens in any religious group, and Christianity is not different, there is kind of a natural purging that takes place. Meaning that you have those who begin to, you know, if, there's, if persecution begins on the Christian church today, our, our attendance numbers may go down. And some churches, it may go down a great deal. People don't want to be a part of that. You know, they're not not going to stand firm on the ground. Uh, And so um, it's interesting that in some countries, um, the average church is less than 30 people, but there's thousands of them. Thousands of churches everywhere. They can't meet with more than 30 people because they'll be too conspicuous. And in some places, if they're meeting in someone's attic, there's not not room for more than 30. Uh, And I've seen the photos of churches that have gathered in people's attics Uh, and that's where they sing and that's where they pray uh, and that's where they read the Bible and that's where they study it. Uh, It's quite incredible uh, to see that kind of thing going on Uh, and so there um, you know you you know who the true believers are uh, that's for sure and there are many who do believe and we've seen this in history that when persecution comes the church actually grows numerically. Now you may not have mega churches but you have many more churches um and uh, in fact there are some Christians they don't mean any ill will towards us as American Christians but they are praying that we undergo persecution because they they recognize that there's a lot of compromise in the church and they know that the purity of the church is what helps to give the church great strength and so they pray that we will go through a time of persecution Again, not because they want us to suffer, not because they think these Americans need to be taught a lesson. They're not thinking that. Uh, and most of the ones who do pray that way, they've, they have been in and are, are and are still in some form of persecution. For them, that's the, it's the normal way of living life, uh, is that. So this is what Paul is doing here, is he, he's trying to encourage them. So uh, this one pastor who is writing on this passage, he says this. He says, why would we be alarmed if... Uh, people begin to move against the church he says even in christian america if you are radical which would really just mean you're a normal disciple of jesus you have all experienced that in this corrupt godless world being a christ understanding that being a christ follower is difficult naturally unrighteous people push back against our stand for christ and righteousness and why might we be alarmed so we've all we have all experienced one or more of these reactions to our faith in christ we've been avoided uh, ridiculed, mocked, isolated, ignored, neglected, overlooked, bypassed, maybe in a job or something else, cursed, questioned, abused, mistreated, slandered, persecuted, imprisoned, martyred. Sometimes we may feel like we're martyrs, even though most of us would never truly be martyred for our faith. So the idea there is that all these things take place because we're Christians. And we, I think, uh, maybe most of us as, belie- have, as believers have experienced some of this, maybe mildly, and we may not have really thought about it as being persecution. And not that we have to carry a placard saying, yes, I've been persecuted too. But the idea is that there are people who will do things against us, say things against us because we're Christians. They don't, they don't like us. They're not going to admit it to your face normally, unless they're, you know, a screamer. Uh, but it's going to happen. Um, I think I've, I can't, I can't remember who I this to who I haven't told to but I remember there was uh, when I became the manager of the Pizza Hut in Pearl City it's a city in in Hawaii um, the restaurant had a lot of trouble so I was I guess hot brought in to fix it so anyway so I'm I'm basically doing a review with all the cooks and we're just talking you know I'm we're just kind of reviewing how we make pizza meatball sandwiches all these things that you know that's on the menu and through the course of conversation I mentioned that I was a Christian and this one guy had a knife in his hand with the blade about this long, and he slammed, it was a metal table, he slammed on the table and made a big noise. I mean, he, he slammed it hard. And he said, I can't believe it, another Christian. And he walks out the back. I was like, well, <laughs> that was unexpected. <laughs> so I went out, after we got done, I went out to talk to him and find out, you know, what's the deal? And uh, so he had a bad experience with, with the Christian. The last manager happened to be a Christian, and he treated everybody like garbage. And so he was just fed up with it. And so we had a talk for a little while, and, you know, I basically asked him, I said, look, I said, I'm not going to judge you uh, by other people. I'm asking you don't judge me by other people. I said, I'm, I'm a Christian. And I said, uh, um, I'm just asking you give me a chance to prove to you that Christians are not what you're used to. And uh, so he was kind of calm, and he said he would. But, man, that was like, opened my eyes. I just never thought of that before, that somebody would be that upset. He was really, I mean, he was just disgusted with the whole thing. And he said, well, I'm going to watch you like a hawk. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> I said, you go ahead. You might get bored. Uh, I, really don't, I don't do anything exciting. Uh, but anyway, you, you go ahead and do that. Uh, so the, but the thing is is those those kind of things can happen I had another guy one time when I was working in the jail I met this sergeant and um, I had a badge that basically you know everything's electronic and all the so my I had complete clearance I can go any place in the jail I wanted to but a lot of a lot of people who worked there didn't know that and so I was out in this one area that's kind of a non-secured area which is right next door to a secured area and the sergeant saw me in there and he said who are you and what are you doing here And so I told him who I was, and I was a chaplain, and of course, he didn't really care. And uh, how'd you get back here? And I said, well, this opens all the doors in the facility. He goes, how'd you get that? I said, well, that would be the sheriff. (laughs) He kind of gives all of us our electronic badges, so that would be him. Uh, I said, if you want, you can go ask him. I'm fine with that. I told him who I was again. And uh, he was just, he was in a bad mood. And he didn't like me being there. And uh, but the Lord was gracious because I can be very sarcastic uh, and I and I wasn't and I usually try not to be if I don't know you very well because it can really come off the wrong way and thank goodness the Lord made sure I wasn't because and it was two more years later he was transferred and he became the sergeant in the unit where my office was <laughs> And so I'm like, oh, there we go. You know, I, but you, know, I saw him go, hey, Sarge, how you doing? And he was like, once again, what are you doing here? And I said, that's my office. And he goes, oh. <laughs> so anyway, and it worked out really well. We, now, we never became best buds, but we had a very good working relationship. All right? So, that, so but the thing was, in the beginning, all that mattered was once he heard I was a chaplain, he was not happy. He just, and then I had other guys tell me stuff like, Oh, yeah, you're the chaplain. You know, all, and they, they look at the inmates. They go, these guys come in here all the time. And you guys are going to help them find Jesus so they can get out of jail. You know, they would literally do that. And so every now and then, if I knew well, I would say, well, I'm not really going to do that. You know? <laughs> but the idea was is, is, there was this thing against religion, against Christianity, against everybody who had a Bible. I mean, the whole deal. Now, it wasn't a big deal. I wasn't being persecuted. I wasn't going to be fired. No, they weren't going to take me out back and beat me up. None of those things were going to happen. But the bottom line is, is you know, and I'm convinced that the main, one, of the, one of the main forms of persecution that Christians will experience now is, is mockery. They're going to make fun of you. They're going, to, they're going to mock Christianity, and they're going to mock you. And we need to be ready for that. And not give a sassy answer, <laughs> even though you can think of a ten of them. Um, but recognize it for what it is, and we want to make sure that the grace of Christ is on display. And so the way we handle that is really very important, and it can be humbling. All right? You you've got to swallow your pride sometimes because you want to. That that individual may be saying things that are completely untrue, and they may be treating you like dirt. And this is where sometimes we've got to make a decision, where. You might be be being treated poorly at work to where you might have a case if you go to human resources, whoever, to file the complaint. But maybe you shouldn't. If it's really because you're a believer or you think it might have something to do with it, maybe it's best that you don't do that. What's the point? You wanna get someone in trouble because they're mocking you as a Christian? That's not the issue. That person needs Christ. And me going to HR because my feelings were hurt or whatever is just not, I don't think that's the way to go. I think we need to just absorb it. God gives us the ability to absorb it. I know that maybe sometimes when, you know, you have to use some judgment, maybe something could be bad and it's, you know, it's maybe they're treating other people poorly and all that kind of stuff can happen. We just want to make sure we're not trying to justify a way to somehow get somebody because our rights have been violated. I do believe, very much so, that as believers, we have a responsibility at times to evaluate what's happened. And even if our rights have been evaluated, choose to not stand up for our rights. It's okay. Because what is the bigger question? Well, what's the bigger issue? And the issue is, that individual and their soul. And so there can be, so a lot of, sometimes we need, we, we often we do, we need wisdom uh, from the Lord. We, we need to know how to handle those things. We need God's grace to handle those things. Um, and so we don't always have to fight. Just because we have recourse in this country, doesn't we have to use it all the time, or maybe even very often. Uh, we really have to try to determine that um, as individuals. So Paul gives us four reasons Uh, again, why we should not be alarmed by our adversaries, and they're in your notes. We'll cover them very quickly. Number one, we've already mentioned these uh, in in summary. Persecution is a sign that the prosecutors or that the persecutors are doomed. Alright, so it's not a sign to us. It's a sign to them. The Spirit of God is able to take their persecution of us and convict their hearts of the evil that they are doing. And I've read several different books where I've read articles and uh, and sections of books where they talk about uh, when... um, Uh, By uh, testimonies by German soldiers by Russian soldiers by Bibi soldiers when they were in contact with uh, prisoners of war or uh, the groups that they were trying to dominate where they came across Christians and talk about how when they were where they they were torturing them or maybe withholding food for them or whatever they were doing where they were feeling guilt they were feeling guilt for what they were doing Oftentimes, that guilt is strengthened or magnified because of how the Christian responds. The Christian doesn't respond screaming and cussing and all that kind of stuff, and so they were uh, they were guilty. In fact, there's been several occasions, and one in particular was um, there was a, a, a young man who was in, who was a, a political prisoner in Lithuania when the Iron Curtain was up, and Lithuania was under the thumb of Russia, and um, he was arrested often because he was a Christian, and there were a lot of different guards that would you know, push him around, sometimes punch him. I don't know, he was never really tortured badly, but he would, he would be sometimes pummeled just because a guard was in a bad mood. And then when the Russian, uh, when, when the Russia basically fell, when the Iron Curtain fell apart, um, a lot of the, all the political prisoners were freed, and a lot of the guards ended up being imprisoned. And so this young man, who had become a believer while he was in prison, then became the chaplain at the prison he used to be imprisoned at, which was housing the guards that used to beat him when he was there. And he talked about sharing the gospel with them. And on several occasions, they were you know not only were they very repentant for what they had done because it wasn't like they were going to repent, say they're sorry, and get out of jail. They were going to be there for years. But they felt not only did they feel bad, many of them told him that even when they were doing things to him, that for whatever reason, when they did it to him, they felt really bad on the inside. They don't know where it came from. And they were convicted. And then when he shared the gospel, it was like their hearts were just wide open uh, to the gospel. So that kind of thing is repeated a great deal. Um, and so, uh, and it's, you know, there's, again, the stories of Chinese who've been arrested uh, because they're Christians, Vietnamese um, individuals in, um, Again, many, many blocks of the Soviet Union, of the former Soviet Union, uh, those kinds of things came out, as well as those who even as far back as World War II, uh, who uh, um, served as guards and, and whatnot and talked about some of the bad feelings they felt. They, again, they didn't stop them necessarily, uh, but there was, they, they, they understood there was a guilt that was associated with that, and that's what he's talking about here. So again, their persecution of fellow humans uh, would strike a, a, a sense of doom and judgment in their hearts. And secondly, uh, again, persecution is a sign of salvation. We've already covered that, so we won't uh, go through that again. Uh, number three, persecution is a privilege, not a terror. So this is where our mindset is really important, the mindset we get because of our walk with the Lord. Even though we know that the Scripture says that being persecuted is a privilege, you just can't say to yourself, it's a privilege, and therefore... You now think that way. As you grow as a Christian, you understand more of the Bible and you understand more of the world and you understand more about human nature. This idea and this conviction becomes a part of who you are on the inside and it truly becomes to you a where you have a sense that it's a privilege. It's a very unique kind of thing. Uh, It's one that the world's never going to get. They're never going to understand that. Um, But it's a privilege. So we're not to be afraid of it. Uh, The fact that that if we're we're suffering because we are Christians, and I don't know of a way that we can describe it in our language that will help us to grasp what it is. It seems to be one of those things where it's a true true statement. And those who experience persecution understand it because they, they have that experience. But it's not, it's not easily communicated so that you can just say, oh yeah, now I got it. You don't really have that sense because we're not dealing with that. But when we are suffering for Christ, um, and I do think this is different. So in Peter it says, um, I'll paraphrase. In Peter it basically tells us to, that if we suffer wrong because of the wrong that we've done, what is that? That's, that's just normal life. The idea is, is that when we suffer wrongdoing because we are Christians, because, because we've done good, then it talks about God giving us grace and this, that, it's, that, it's, that we are honoring the Lord when that takes place. The idea is that basically they have to make something up about you. So I don't know if you know this, but many of, uh, many of the individuals who were arrested uh, during the, the days of the Soviet Union when we, what we call the Iron Curtain was up, almost always, and I think this is true in most of the communist kind of countries where Christians and Christian pastors in particular have been arrested, what they're asked to confess to is they're asked to confess to being a spy. And so this this one, I was reading a uh, statement from this one Christian pastor, I think it was Chinese, And he says, what these people don't understand is, I I can't sign that because that would be a lie. I'm not going to lie. He says, so I said, well, I'm a pastor. They said, don't you know it's against the law to be a pastor? He goes, yes. Here, sign this. Say you're a spy. He goes, no, it has to say I'm a pastor. I'll sign it. (laughs) And I don't know what the deal is. I'm sure it's political and they want to, you know, parade them around and say, look at this. You know, these Christian pastors are spies. You know, whatever. Uh, but these guys are all asked basically to declare that they're spies, um, and um, they they won't do it. But again, they all talk about it being a privilege. It's clear to them that the only reason they're going through this pain and suffering is because they're Christians. Uh, but remember that the pain and suffering they're going through—it's a very real thing. Okay, it's, it's 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 it's. So if we ever face that, it's not like it's just going to be this really nice. You know, we go to this, you know, we suffer a little bit, you know, they pinch our skin, maybe we bleed, and then everything's going to be okay. It's not the way that it works. Right? These individuals are tortured, uh, many times beaten to the point of being killed, um, and then they're kind of nursed back to health so they can be beaten again. Right? And, and that's your life, day after day, year. It's hard to imagine that. Um, the guys I mentioned to you before, Richard Wormbrandt um, and Harlan Popov, uh, one was Hungarian, one was Polish. One was in, in prison for 17 years, the other for a little over 20, for being Christian pastors. Um, they, were, they were tortured and beaten on a regular basis for that period of time. It's hard to imagine 20 years of that. It's unbelievable. I mean, it would be easy. We would, almost, we would understand it if somebody would begin to wonder by year 10 if God hears your prayers. But they're not thinking that way. They're not thinking. I, I mean, they don't want to be there. They're, they're willing. They, want, they would like to be free and not being tortured. But they know that the world they're living in, that's the will of God for them. And they, want, and they need to shine for God there. And their daily existence is, what, is how God wants them to basically meet life. And he wants them to live an exemplary Christian life there, regardless of the circumstances. And they embrace that. Um, and so, again, we just want to make sure we remember that. that it, you know, Because we, do, we have it easy. We do. And that's not wrong. Obviously, that's the will of God. Or we would all be in jail. And we would be suffering. So we don't have to feel guilty for that. But we do have to use our freedoms and our comfort to, for, the, for the work of the Lord. It's not just for us to live in the lap of luxury and say, well, tough for them. You know we should be praying for them. We should be doing the the, doing the work that God wants us to do here, where God has placed us, um, and yet still have a great heart for those who are going through this kind of thing. So again, it's a very high honor uh, to uh, suffer for the Lord, and I do believe. I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but if there is a if there's a way to to uh, if there's a mark, on, on, when we go to be with the Lord, if there's a mark on those who have suffered grievously for christ i hope that there is because i'm hoping there's some way we can honor them we're not going to worship them you know they're they're, they're going to worship christ like we're worshiping christ but but we need to hold them in high esteem i think god holds them in high esteem he again he doesn't think they're better than us he doesn't love them more than us but he holds them in high esteem they, it's a great honor yes Yes. Uh, well, we're going to get there in a, in a minute. Okay. Right now, we're only, going, we're, only, we're only dealing with persecution right now. But yeah, there are different causes. Oh, that's fine. Okay. Hopefully, we can unwrap your confusion. Okay. All right. And then, of course, the last one, uh, number four, which is very clear, because Paul is the one writing the letter. Uh, Paul is a a dynamic example of bearing with persecution. His whole mindset, as we've already seen, was very different and very unique. It was almost as if him being in prison was was a side issue. He was just excited that he got to share the Lord with all these people, and he was seeing all these guards come to know Christ, and he was just as excited as he could be about all that. Um he did have obviously a lot of freedoms. He could write letters and he could receive visitors and all those things, but he was still chained to a guard on his way to Rome, which eventually was going to lead to his death. You know, that was still going on. Uh, he, he couldn't just go wherever he wanted to go. He had zero privacy. But he was still, uh in one sense, at the top of his game. You know, for him every day was great um, and a new opportunity for him to be able to share Christ. There's an academic, uh, well, let, me, let me first of all, let me read verse 29, and then I'm going to read you a quote from John Walbert. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So again, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and he's letting them know that it has been granted to them to not only believe in Christ, which is their salvation, but to suffer. Right, that's, that's God's will for their life. So John Walbert says this, The particular problem to which Paul addresses himself is not that of suffering in general, but suffering in the life of a child of God. It is not too difficult to understand why those who are ungodly, who have rejected Christ and biblical standards, should suffer. The more pointed question is, why a child of God, who has received divine grace and forgiveness of sins, should nevertheless suffer? Here again, we are shut up to the scriptures for a sure answer. In this portion of Paul's letter to the Philippians, he is dealing with this precise question. So it should be clear to all that Paul is not suffering because he is a sinner, nor has he transgressed the law of God in such a way as to have brought the suffering upon himself. It is rather that his suffering springs from his dedication to Christ, and because he had been faithful in preaching the gospel. In the performance of the will of God, he had run into conflict with the desires of evil men. And this explains his imprisonment, because the principles of human suffering affect the lives of so many, Paul wants the Philippian church to understand that his suffering has a proper cause and is being used by God to his glory. The discussion of Paul should be seen in the light of the general answer to the word of God, that the word of God gives to the reasons for suffering in the lives of his children. There are a number of differing causes for suffering in the life of a child of God. Paul himself bears witness to this fact, and some of the other reasons can be observed elsewhere in scripture. In some instances, God allows suffering in the lives of his children to encourage in them a life of close fellowship with himself, and as a means of reminding them of their place of dependence upon the power and grace of God. The practical effect of this type of suffering is that it keeps the Christian from sinning and prevents departure from God that otherwise might have eventuated. This is illustrated in Paul's own experience of having a thorn in the flesh. So if you're familiar with Paul, it talks about that no one's really sure. There's not an agreement as to what the thorn in the flesh was, but it was something that was greatly bothering him, and he asked the Lord three times to remove it. And the Lord said no, all three times, and said basically my grace is sufficient. In other words, my strength is sufficient to get you through this. So some believe, um, a, a very small group believes, that the thorn in the flesh was... Uh, the group of Jews that were following him around trying to get him killed. I don't think that's what it is. Others believe, because we know he suffered from this, he suffered from very serious headaches and high fever um, that was basically debilitating. And some believe that's why he had a close association with Luke, because Luke was a a doctor. Um, And so that may have been it. Others think that he may have been suffering just some of the consequences from many of the beatings that he took. Remember, he was left for dead a couple of times. Um, I not about you, but a lot of times, someone who's left for dead, even though they recover, they're not quite the same again. Now, there could be all kinds of issues. I mean, you just know that if if you just have a bad car wreck, you can be affected for the rest of your life. you can going to have pain for the rest of your life. Um, so we're not sure what it is, but it was something he prayed about and wanted God to remove because he thought that he might be more effective for the Lord, maybe be, maybe be able to move better or not lose days of ministry because of whatever, but God clearly told him no. Um, that was not the case. So all of us as believers are going to suffer because, number one, we're human beings in a world that's cursed by sin. So we're, there's going to be that. There's a general kind of suffering from one degree to another that everybody's going to experience, whether it's you suddenly get cancer at a young age, uh, maybe you're, you're in a wreck, or, or you know, someone, else, someone else's negligence and you have a problem with one of your limbs, and so you're going to limp or have. To, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. All right, just rare diseases. Um, um, I don't know if you know this, but some of the, some of the individuals we call heroes of the faith, individuals who we have stories about some incredible things they accomplished for the Lord. One of those is George Mueller. He was a man who um, never had money, but came into a ton of money through the years as he prayed, but used all the money up. And he used all the money up for two things. Number one, uh, in England, uh, in the 1800s, when he was alive, when George Miller was alive, there was just an enormous number of orphaned children. Just, just unbelievable. And there was no one taking care of them. And so he, had, he bought some homes, and he took care of these kids, made sure that they were fed, made sure they were educated. Uh, there were ladies that would volunteer. Most of them would volunteer. Some were paid. Uh, that would live in these homes with the kids to help raise the kids. And the way he funded that because he wasn't independently wealthy. He just prayed and asked God to supply, and God supplied. What I didn't know until several years ago, because I'd read a couple of biographies of him, but I read one by his grandson. What I didn't know is, I think the number was, it's more than 20, and, and it may be even as many as 30, but there's at least 20 missionaries throughout the world that he was their full support. Like, if he didn't send them money, they didn't need it. There was. It wasn't like they had a group of churches or Christians supporting them, and he was just one of the group. He was the group. And, he, and so uh, the money that he would pray for to help the orphans as well as for these missionaries, he funded all of that. And he did all, basically did it all by faith because he just asked the Lord for it. Uh, and, what, and also what comes out when you read his biography is he's a very sickly individual. He was sick a lot. He was always in bed, coughing, or he would run fevers, uh, he just, he wasn't this spry, energetic guy who was, you know, just a kind of personality, who was just glad-handing everybody, and like, you know, you can be a part of this great ministry, nah, that's not what he was like, he was, and, and then what was even more astounding was, when he turned 80, he decided it was then time for him to begin the tour of the world and preach, <laughs> which I thought was really cool, Uh and so he started to tour of the world and of course by then nobody knew who he was so they all wanted to hear him preach and he preached the gospel uh, it was just incredible uh, but yet this guy did all these things and he was, he was not the picture of health. and there are several different kinds of individuals like that in church history um, that have accomplished great things and, and they had all kinds of physical things which, which I think the Lord just used that to remind them daily that they would depend upon God for everything it wasn't their personality. It wasn't their physical strength, and they have any. You know, they were just weak, and yet um, God blessed them in, in incredible ways. If you would just for a moment turn to Second uh, Corinthians, chapter twelve. where Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh, beginning of verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest in me. So Paul then tells us there, in verse 7, that he knows exactly why God gave him the thorn in the flesh. Paul was unique because of some of the revelations that God had given him. And so Paul says, basically, so I don't get a big head, the Lord sent a thorn in the flesh. That was the, that was the bottom line. Because that meant that Paul was susceptible to getting a big head. He's a human being. And as human beings, we had issues with pride. Pride and ego. And so the Lord was going to make sure that didn't happen. And so he did that by sending him this issue. Or whatever that issue was. Wasn't a literal no. It could have been, it could, again, it could have been a physical ailment, which is what many think it was. Um, Well, a messenger from Satan, yeah. Right. It's, it's a, a poetic thing that basically the, the Lord allowed, because remember now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, how, that's one of the ways Satan does it. I mean, but think about this. When we are physically sick, m- oftentimes we are more susceptible to temptation. But that, that was his thorn? It wasn't a literal thorn. In no. Mm-hmm. No, not a thorn. No, not like a. Right. No. But it, could have been, but it could have been a disease. Absolutely. But it poked him like I a thorn. Mean, I no, no. Well, no, no. not like physically, but like it was... Yeah, it was very serious. David, one, that would cause, David, one that would cause him to depend upon the Lord to get through. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so there are times when you may be sick and, and it, there's nothing physically wrong with you. It's, it's from the devil. And God allows that to happen. If it suits his purpose, yeah. Part, yeah. So he was made perfect in his weakness. His strength, his strength to do what he was doing was made perfect or complete. Him, it was I made complete. I, I yeah. totally understand. That. Yep. But what was the third heaven? That's when it, we had one of his visions. So basically, yeah. the third, so we have the atmosphere, then mm-hmm. you have space, and you go beyond that. Okay. Yeah, that's the easiest way to explain it. Because we don't have any other explanation to give. He had that privilege above and beyond. Big time, yes. Yep. He was given revelations, like, kind of like Daniel had special revelations. It was insane. He was him humble. hmm Yes. hmm Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, Mike. <laughs> Who? Uh-oh. Yes. I should write that it could have been, you know, because we don't know, but it could have been mm-hmm. Well, that yeah. When I mentioned the headaches and all that, the the one of the effects of that was his eyesight. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been. You know, we don't we don't really know. Um, except I do believe it was physical. Those who say that it was just uh, his persecution, I don't think is what it was. You know, it, it wasn't that. That wasn't a big deal. Yes. Yeah, and Paul was the kind of guy that he he was kind of like we need to get there yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we need to. He would have been a very demanding individual. Remember, he got mad at John Mark when John Mark, when he and Barnabas and John Mark went on a missionary trip, and John Mark got homesick, and Paul got ticked, and just be you leave. And then next time we the next time we wanted to go to the next one, they wanted to be John Mark, and 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 Paul said no way, he ain't coming. And so Barnabas said, oh, okay, well, I'll take one. I'll I'll do one. (laughs) And Paul didn't argue. Fine. (laughs) 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 Okay. Okay. All right. Um, uh, All right. All right. There is another form of suffering um, that we may go through, and that is when God is chastening us or disciplining us. Um, Remember, that can happen. Um, We want to make sure that we, A, you don't want to fall into the danger of thinking that every time something bad happens to you that God is punishing you. Because it's not true. At the same time, you don't want to automatically assume that if if things are going bad, it's never because God's punishing you. Because that may not be true either. So how do you know? Well, I do think that as you walk with the Lord, it goes, always goes back to that, our communion with Christ. As we walk with the Lord, as we read the scripture, as we study the Bible, as we fellowship with other believers, uh, God makes those things clear to us. Most of the time, I think we actually, we, if, like, if it's because of sin, we know. I've, I've talked to people when, like, who had different things, and they'll say, yeah, I, I think that God is God is, is teaching me a lesson. What this is what anyone who said that to me, this is what's never happened. I say, Well well what do you think's going on? What I've never heard, I have no clue, but I must have done something. I've never heard that. What I've heard is Boom. One, two, three. I mean they you know they can give you time and date and the whole deal. I mean, how does that come rushing back to you? It's because your mind is on certain things. Now, I know that it's possible some individuals can be driven by guilt and they feel guilty for everything, but if you're growing as a believer, most of that's going to be under control. All right? Because, again, we read scripture on a daily basis, um, we're worshiping God together, we're fellowship with the believers. So the consistency um, that we have in what we call the spiritual disciplines is really key to not only living the life that God wants us to live, but understanding the will of God in our life and what God seeks to communicate to us. That's really is key. It's kind of like uh, when when you you want your children to grow, we do this automatically. We feed them. And we feed them every day. We don't say, well, I mean, I cooked for my kids on Monday, but I don't feel like cooking anything today. We don't do that. We feed them. Now you might feed them leftovers, but um, let's say you have teenage boys and there's no leftovers. But um, but the thing is, is that it's, it's, there's no magic to it. It's just consistency. You just consistently feed them. And growth happens naturally. So in the same way we want to feed our soul and the way, and the way we take care of our soul, but also, so not only do we feed our children on a regular basis, we make sure our kids get rest, make sure they get sleep. You know, families that are out of control, because uh, school teachers see this all the time you can tell which kids aren't being uh, are malnourished you can tell which kids aren't getting a good night's sleep you can tell right, by the way they behave, by what's going on by by. All, you know, there's a lot of body language things and sometimes even physical appearances that make it very clear that certain things are amiss so when it comes to our soul there's the same idea, it's, there's no magic formula there's not something that someone's figured out and all the rest of us are in the dark it's not that someone's figured it out and you have to buy some course. You know, there's no secret to uh, a close walk with the Lord that, you know, we have to all pay 500 bucks for a seminar. You don't have to do that. All right, the bottom line is it's the simple, everyday disciplines of the Christian life, uh, which are hard enough by themselves, even though they're simple. If you don't think they're hard, we need to talk. Because the act of reading the Bible is simple. Making sure you read the Bible every day. How many, don't shake your heads, but how many times do we fail at that? Because something's a lot, right? It's like, oh, like I remember, especially when I was younger, you know, I'm going to do this. And, you know, I got a whole plan worked out. It's going to be easy. I'll be able to read the New Testament in so many weeks. And it's great on paper. You know, Monday, I mean, I'm on it. Monday, I might even read a chapter ahead. I mean, I'm on this thing. And by the time Friday comes, oh, what, I haven't read the Bible since Monday. <laughs> you know, it's just like, how did this happen? <laughs> you know, like, well, you're undisciplined and all the rest, you know. Uh, so, but it, so I just want you to know that there's no, there's no big secret uh, to these things. It's all, this is something all of us can possess, the tools that God gave to all of us to be able to use um, like it isn't, like, For example, when it comes to having a good marriage, just so you know, anybody can have a good marriage. Anybody can have one. The same kind of things. It's good communication, caring for each other, putting that person before yourself. Um, I would say being quick to apologize, but sometimes we're slow on that, but it comes around eventually. There's just certain aspects. Now, all of us can have that, every single one of us. You know, there's no real secret to it. You know, some will pay hundreds of dollars because they'll be told things they just forgot or maybe haven't been paying attention to. But a good marriage, you know, being a good parent, I'm convinced it's not really that hard. They can, they can be a lot of heartache. But being a good parent is, is really, it comes down to consistency, All right? You want your kids to be disciplined? Be consistent, All right? So if you said at 8.30 bedtime, stop letting them go to bed at 9. Make them go to bed at 8.30, Right? Remember this. Kids only do what you let them do. That's it. So be consistent. All right? And if you're consistent, you care for them, you love them, you, your kids are going to... Obviously, we're, you, know, you want to do things the way the Lord wants you to. You want to make sure that you're, that you're taking the church, taking them with you to church, not just sending them, that you're reading the Bible together. But if you're doing those basic things, it's going to go... Most of the time, it's going to go well. Every now and then, we'll have a cane. All right. And that can be a heartache. Um, But there's no secrets that only a few people know. God doesn't play that kind of game with us. Um, It's something that he wants. All this stuff is here for all of us to to access. Um, So again, remember that God does care for us to the point that he will at times discipline us by allowing us to reap the consequences of our sin or maybe causing things to go wrong. To awaken us to the fact that we're on the wrong path or doing the wrong thing, so that so we, there can be a course correction uh, and change direction, begin to go in the right way and do things the right and do things the right way. Um, so sometimes we can definitely suffer like that, and then of course sometimes uh, we will suffer because God is using it to instruct us. Uh, and often, when he's, when he's instructing us about something, he's also instructing others. Um, our life can be a witness or a testimony either to others that are watching at that moment or perhaps later as we learn those things that God wants us to learn we then can share those with others uh, and they can learn from our experiences as well so God doesn't waste experiences in our lives we can waste them but God doesn't waste them um, and so we want to make sure that we are kind of in tune uh, uh, with that and again there's no magic to, filling that, to, to figuring that out either it comes right back to the same things um, and it really is important and basic. Romans chapter five, beginning in verse three, it says this: More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So endurance, uh, what endurance? When so suffering produces endurance, what endurance is? Is that your character remains consistent under pressure? That's what endurance is. That's what that means. Is your so your Christian character? Will be the same when things are going well, and will be the same when things are not going well. Number two, um, endurance is going to produce character, right? So that you know, God wants us to be uh, men and women of character, meaning that we have that we're honest, that we have integrity, uh, that we have a, a good uh, work ethic, uh, all the different uh, adjectives or attributes that you can think of that you would put into an individual who has character. Endurance produces that consistency of character under pressure produces. Uh, character. And then what does character produce? What it produces in you is hope. In other words, your hope that we have in Christ it, it can waver based on how we feel. Okay? But the way we feel is going to come under control as we walk with the Lord. The way we walk with the Lord is part of that is rejoicing in our sufferings because we know what, how God's going to use it. At least part of it. We know what He's going to do. And so as we pray and depend upon God in the suffering. And that produces this uh, consistency of, char- of character that affects the whole person. So then as as you recognize and see how God helps you through all of that and what it's producing in your life, then in our life, this hope that we have in Christ is kind of realized. We recognize what we have in Christ. And so we're not wavering back and forth like, oh, I wonder, you know, does God even hear me? You're not thinking that. I oh, wonder if God has a future for me. You're not thinking that. You know He does. Right? There's, there's no wavering there. Oh, I, I really hope in the end I make it. You won't wonder that. You'll know that you're going to make it. Because your salvation is secure with Christ. So all of that is solidified um, by the Lord in how the Lord works in our lives through suffering. And then, of course, uh, we know how He works in our lives through suffering because of what the Word says. So it always comes back to the Word. The Word informs us of that. And that's what it says here in Romans. Uh, and then, of course, lastly, which is kind of the icing on the cake, um, is that the Lord at times allows suffering uh, in our lives because it's a way of increasing our testimony, which is a way of pointing to his greater glory. You know, there are t- you know, we like, you know, if you ever hear stories of individuals where we'll say, wow, that was really inspiring. Well, what made that story inspiring? It's always the same kind of things. It's overcoming incredible odds, overcoming an incredible situation. And that individual maintaining I guess you would say in a humanistic way their humanity and how they came out ahead in a positive way well as believers you know when we hear of individuals who were raised in a home where no one knew the Lord and everybody was a drug user and this individual became a believer at age you know in their teens and they didn't allow that to get them down. And maybe they saw their brother killed on the street. And, their, and they saw uh, their, their dad uh, overdose on drugs. And then they saw their mom get beat up by all these different boyfriends. All that kind of stuff happens. And this individual remained consistent, helped to raise their siblings. And, and um, you know, they, they took them to church. And they were, depending upon God and reading the Bible, they said, man, that's just incredible. Right? Well, does that, point? that points to not only how incredible they are, but where do they get all that from? All that came from, from God. And, and so their testimony is increased in that way. And it's not the only way, but that kind of thing. Uh, a, a great example today would be um, uh, Johnny um, Erickson Tata. She's a quadriplegic. Uh, She's been a quadriplegic since she was a uh, teenager. She was out with her friends. Um, this was back in the 60s, I guess. She was with her friends, and they were out some, some lake, and they were swimming, having a good time. And it was time to go, and so she was the, they, she was making some jump from some rock and so she jumped. And on but this last time when she jumped, she hit her head and she broke her neck. And it, it, it's always always that way. It's always the last jump. Like, why do they do that? You know, but anyway, so the last jump is so uh, um, and, and if you the movie, I guess is kind of corny because it was made back in the 70s. But anyway, it's still good because it's accurate. Uh, but she went through a real hard time. I mean, it's, it's a pretty big shock in life when all of a sudden you are quadriplegic. You're going to feel like your life is over. But she, through all of this, she becomes a Christian. And she has influenced probably millions of people. Uh, she's, she's married. Um, she, uh, and she has an incredible uh, international ministry. She's, she's well known throughout the world. Uh, all starting with that story um, and then how the Lord saved her and the, how the Lord has used her. So the, the use of God in her life is not just to inspire people to try harder. It's not just to use in the lives of people who are quadriplegic so they can try to accomplish something though that happens. But her story is one of how uh, people can overcome incredible odds as a Christian and be used by God in incredible ways, regardless of what your handicaps are or, or what's against you. Uh, and yet, and also have incredible joy, her, her joy in the Lord. I mean, it's, it's, it's unmistakable, the joy she has in Christ. It's, it's insane. And she's encountered all kinds of people. She says she remembers there are times that she'd be on the escalator uh, in, in the airport ever going from one place to another, and there'd be maybe someone who's kind of charismatic, and they'd run up to her and say, if you just had faith, you could walk, and they'd pray for her, and she'd, have, she'd heard this her whole life. Imagine how that'd make you feel. If you just believe, you'd be able to walk. And then people will pray for you and you're not getting up. And they're like, yeah, there's, I mean, they, they don't always say it, but it's kind of like they're disappointed in you because you clearly don't have faith. I mean, good night. You know, it's, it's bad enough. She's a quadriplegian. You got to put that on her. Um, but she went, main, she went through all that and never lost her joy. Um, and her effectiveness for God is just, it's insane. So with that said, we'll end there. We'll start chapter 2. Uh, it won't be next week, next week's the Christmas banquet, so it'll be after that but uh, let's pray Father in heaven again we thank you for your goodness and grace and love, we thank you Father again for the words of Paul, we pray Lord that you would cause us to think about them often and think about how uh, we live our life and how we think about life and how we think about suffering and how we approach suffering Uh, and that Father you would help us to have the the proper thought life so that we would think through it in the right way that you may use it Father as you see fit to form us and to Uh, to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask now that as you dismiss us, you would would do so with your grace, that you would watch over us and keep us safe as we return home. And we do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.